you may not know me, my name is Ben Hertz, and uh, I get to be the senior pastor here. And I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. As a child, uh, I, I remember a story that I was told about a grandma who passed away and left a box as an inheritance for her grandson. And within this box, there was a Bible. And in between every page of the Bible was a $100 bill. Now, now if, you're, if you're a math person like I am, figure 1,000 pages, how much money is that? Some of you are like, I don't have, I, I can't, I don't have enough fingers for that. $100,000 was left for this man. But here's the thing that you need to know about this grandson is, is that he, he had grown, grown up around church and just kind of gave up on it. Like, I don't see the need for God. I don't believe in God. And so why is, why is grandma giving me this old box with this Bible? And he just threw it in his closet. And meanwhile, he, as the, the years gone by, went by, this man lived in poverty, basically from paycheck to paycheck, barely scraping by, having to beg for food at times. And it came to the point where he was evicted from the place where he was living. And as he was cleaning out his closet, he came across grandma's box. And as he held the box, the anger came back into his heart that they had about his grandma leaving him this stupid Bible. And as fate would have it, he dropped it, the Bible fell out of the box, and out came a $100 bill. And to his astonishment, he opens up the Bible to find $100,000. Now, I don't know if this story is true, but, but it made me think about this passage in Ephesians where I was reminded that we are far richer than we could ever imagine. Just like that grandson, he had far more than he realized. We in Christ are richer than we could possibly imagine. And this morning, we are going to dive into the first few verses of Ephesians. And what Paul wants to communicate is that there is great reason to praise God. You should be blown away in light of the riches that you have in Jesus. And so let's jump in to see what that is for us in Ephesians 1. Follow along with me as I start in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Let's pray. Father, you truly are our cornerstone. The weak made strong in your love for us. Father, if we are honest... There are many days that pass by where we forget how richly blessed that we are. 
in Christ. And this morning, Lord, I pray that you would rekindle that. I pray for the believers in Christ this morning that we would be overwhelmed by your goodness, by your grace, by your mercy towards sinners such as us. Father, that we would leave deeply encouraged in you. And Father, in order for that to happen, we are going to need you to open our eyes, open our hearts that we may behold wondrous things out of your word. Father, I pray that you would be with us. I pray that you would give us humility as we look at a very deep subject. Lord, give us understanding this morning. May your spirit be ever present in our lives. And we thank you for your presence with us. We thank you that you have given us your spirit. And so, Lord, meet us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we, as we look into this book, let's just, let's just do a little background work. Of course, we know that this was written by the Apostle Paul. And if you have read through Acts, you know that in Acts 19, that's when he met the church in Ephesus. And he has a very specific audience that he is speaking to. He's not just speaking to those who attend churches in Ephesus. He's speaking to genuine believers in Ephesus. He is speaking to Christians who have truly repented of their sin and placed their faith in Christ. It says to who, those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. And so we, we should take note of that. This letter is not just for those who attend Gospel Community Church. This is for those who are actively living out their faith. The truths that we will read are true for those who have genuinely repented of their sin and placed their faith in Jesus for salvation. And look at verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is Paul getting at here? This isn't just like a, a greeting that he does. He, What he's saying is like, listen, believers, there is reason to praise God. That's what bless the Lord means. It means praise him. He He is worthy of commendation. All praise and glory belong to God. He is telling the church to get ready to lift high the name of Jesus. And here's why I love the Bible and why I love God. Because he, he could have said, hey, blessed be the name of the Lord, end of story, right? And it would be worthy for us to praise him because he is creator. But, but he goes further. He's, he's not like the kings of old who said, you need to bow down to me because I'm your king. I don't care what you think about me. You're going to worship me because I'm your king. That, that's not what Paul's saying. Like, listen, there is reason for you to bless his name. There is reason for you to praise him this morning. Why should we bless God? The verse goes on to say that he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He is worthy of this. We have received every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing is ours. Not just some, not just a lot, not just many. Every spiritual blessing is what it says belongs to the believer. 
We are far richer than we know. Notice it, it doesn't say physical blessings here. It's not like, hey, you sow a seed of $100 and you'll be blessed tenfold financially. There's, there's no promise of health, wealth, and prosperity here. These are spiritual blessings which are far greater than any earthly blessing you could ever imagine. And so we must naturally ask ourselves here, what, what spiritual blessings should we worship and praise God for? And to that, Paul says, buckle up. Now, I must mention here that, that we are about to dive into what I like to call the deep end of the theological pool. And sadly, this, for some reason, has become a doctrine that has, that has separated churches, that has split churches because of an unwillingness to, to come to conclusion of what it means, and even an unwillingness to be humble, to, to know that we can't fully understand what's going on here. And so I ask you for humility as we look into this. What Paul discusses here and what we are about to discuss can wreak havoc in the church, but we must approach this topic with deep dependence on the Lord and ask him for wisdom. So what are the spiritual riches that are ours in Christ? Look at verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. God chose us. God chose us. And of course, we get this theological term from this text, and that theological term is election. Here's how Wayne Grudem defines election. It is an act of God before creation in which he chooses some people to be saved, not on account of any foreseen merit in them, but only because of his sovereign good pleasure. The reason we are saved is because God chose us to be saved before the world began, before the foundation of the world, before creation took place. What is, exactly does that mean? Does it, does it mean we had no say in the matter? Does it mean that, that God made us come to Christ? And if that's the case, does it mean he chose some people not to be saved? As I mentioned, we are swimming in the deep end of the theological pool. So for the next three hours, we're going to break it down. <laughs> some of you are like, oh, I got to go. I'm not feeling so well. Just kidding. We don't have the time, and I'm not going to pretend like we're going to even scratch the surface of this. But we are going to discuss a little bit about election. And to do that, get your Bibles ready, because we're going to go through a lot of scriptures to wrestle through what the scriptures say in light of election. First of all, look at the screen here. We'll have some that we'll have you turn to. We'll have some on the screen. But Acts 13, 48 says this. And when the Gentiles heard this, when they heard the good news of the gospel, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. In other words, as many as God chose to be saved, believed at that moment. Turn with me to Acts, or sorry, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Let's look at this book. Romans 8, verses 28 through 30. Paul says this in this book. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. 
for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of a son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God is the one who calls us. God is the one who chooses us. Just turn over a page or two to, to Romans 9, verses 10 through 13. Now, here, here's something. If you read the Old Testament, you can't help but to think about the topic of election. You, you think of how he chose Abraham, how he chose Moses. And, and if you follow these guys, th these were not good people. These were not like people that you would just look up to. God's like, I'm choosing that guy. I'm going to choose Gideon, who's the least of his family, who's not strong at all, but he's going to lead my people. Like we see this all throughout, and we see it here, Romans 9, reflecting to a story in the Old Testament. Let me follow along as I read, starting in verse 10. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our father Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Now if you remember, who was the firstborn there? Esau was the firstborn. But God chose Jacob who later was named Israel, who became the leader of the Israelites, God's chosen people. Now, again, if you follow the life of Jacob, was Jacob somebody that you want to model your life after? No, he swindled his brother out of his birthright. Like he, he was not a good dude. It was completely God's grace and mercy choosing him. Second Thessalonians 2.13 says this, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you. Brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. God chose us to be saved. Turn with me now to 2 Timothy chapter 1. I told you we're going to be lots of flipping. If you don't know your, your Bible well, you're going to... You might struggle a little bit, but you can write these references down and read them later. Uh, 2 Timothy 1, verses 8 and 9. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, not, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. God chose us before creation. And even Jesus himself said this in John chapter 15. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruits and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you, are, you ask in the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Do you remember Apostle Paul when he was on the road to Damascus getting ready to kill more Christians, persecute more believers? What did Jesus do? Showed up to Paul and said, Paul, I have chosen you. You have been afflicting me. 
but I am choosing you to be my witness to the Gentiles. God chose Paul when Paul, all he had on his mind is I want to kill some followers of Christ. God chose him. Paul was not seeking after the Lord in any sense of the imagination. Now these can be hard verses to comprehend. But, I, but what I see here is that God chose me to be saved. He opened my eyes to my need for repentance and set me free from my sin. Some people choose not to believe this because they think it makes God a puppeteer and we are his puppets. But I don't, I don't see it that way at all. Let me just ask you a question. How was how a person saved? Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works. Why? So that no one may boast. Let me ask you, if our coming to Christ was solely based on our choosing, wouldn't there be something to boast in? I had the wisdom enough to choose God. Like, I just sought him out because I'm just a smart person. And, and, and I just came to God naturally because that's, that was my own doing. Certainly, this is the mystery of election. We have a choice to make. We still have to choose to follow him, but yet the choice comes ultimately with God choosing us. And then we responded by choosing him. That's, it's a mystery that we fully don't understand. But if we solely believe that we are the one who chooses God, doesn't that give us something to boast in? I mean, think, think about it from this perspective, especially from a parenting standpoint. When your kids make good choices, what, who do you praise? You praise your kids, right? Oh, great, you chose the apple over the donuts. Not that it ever happens in my house, but like, we praise the kid. We, good job, you made a good choice. But when somebody comes to Christ, who do we, all, who do we go to? Who do we praise first and foremost? God, thank you. When we want somebody to come to Christ, what do we do? Do we strategize and say, how can I get this person to come to Jesus? I got to do what I got to do, okay? We got to make this, we got to make them make the decision. No, we are desperately dependent on God. Got to open their eyes. Help them to see. If that's not election, I don't know what is because the truth is I would have never gone after God unless he came after me. Let me just take a moment to address some arguments made against this great doctrine of election. Some people will say that if that's true, then, then why do I need to evangelize? Like, why do I need to spread the gospel if people are going to get saved whether I do it or not? I, I would simply say, what does God call us to do? Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Why do we evangelize? Because Jesus told us to. Turn with me to Acts chapter 18. Paul understood this because he knew where he was running. He had, God was not anywhere. Jesus Christ was not anywhere in his mind and God opened his eyes to him. And so he understood only by God choosing him did he come to Christ. In Acts 18 verse 9 through 11 we read this. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking. And do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. Get this, for I have many 
in this city who are my people. Those who were his people were not yet his people. But Paul was to go and preach so that they would repent. Because God had chosen people there that he was going to lead to himself. And, and here's the thing. Paul didn't say, well, why do I need to do it? Why can't Peter or somebody else come and do this? I'll go somewhere else because they're already your chosen people. No, rather, instead of responding that way, Paul actually spends more time here than he normally does in other cities that we see in Acts. We see in verse 11, he stayed a year and a half teaching the word of God among them. Paul was not deterred by the fact that God chose him and God chooses who will be saved. He was pursuing and being obedient to what God had called him to do. So I actually find that very encouraging in evangelism because I know that it's not about having exactly everything shared perfectly in a very, very deep theological way. Sometimes the simplest testimonies are the best. You know what? I once was blind, but now I see. And I can trust God to do the work through my faithfulness to him. Another argument against election is that it makes God a cruel person who also sends people to hell. If he sends people to heaven, that means he sends people to hell. There, there, there's one major problem with that thought. That, that is like saying God prevented people from getting to heaven who were lining up at heaven's door. As if people were kept out of heaven against their own will. Brothers and sisters, scripture has nothing about us seeking him. We read in Isaiah 53 that all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned our own way. Romans 3.11 says that no one seeks for God. See, the reality is, the natural consequence for all of us is hell. What every single one of us deserves is eternal suffering. And yet God in his sovereign grace chose us. Nobody's knocking on heaven's door being turned away. Because we are all running towards hell. We are born running away from God with passion. And only by God's grace can we come to him. I would argue that if God wouldn't have chosen us, we would never have chosen him. So what should we do in light of such deep theological concepts? For, for those who are able to accept it, praise God for your salvation. This is, this is why it becomes so clear why Paul said we're saved by faith apart from works so that no one can boast. That's why arrogant Calvinism is the most oxymoronic thing I've ever heard. Because if you fall, I hate using those terms, but this would fall into the line of Calvinistic thought. Like how could we be arrogant in the fact that God rescued us when we deserve hell? Praise your Savior for his mercy and his grace that has been lavished on you. Overflowing toward you. Be overcome that God would rescue a wretch like you. And for those of you who find this troubling, let me, let me encourage you to, to further conversation with others. 
is it too, too often like we, we get frustrated with something, and instead of leaning in and trying to find understanding, we, we've just camped out and said, I'm not moving, and I'm not going to go another way. Let me encourage you to, to have some conversation with some other people. Perhaps we would come to the place where we could not agree on this. And if so, the Lord would release you. But please don't just run off. Have a conversation. Let's talk through this. And, and I would leave you, leave this point with Isaiah 55, where, where it says this. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Listen, we are finite beings. We can't fathom. I don't even fully fathom and understand everything about God. And if we did, would God really be God? Like if we could just lay out everything that is true of the Lord, would the Lord be that impressive? Like if you could just sit down and define this is who the Lord is and completely understand it, something's wrong. Because God is far above us. He's an eternal being. We, have, we, we, we fall short. But, but here's the reality. God chose us. We are far richer than we could ever imagine. Look at verse 5 in Ephesians chapter 1. By the way, when I originally was planning this, I was planning to go through verse 14. And as you can see, we're not going to get there today. So that's why we're only going through verse 6. But look at verse 4. The second part of verse 4. Ephesians 1. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Not only does God choose us, but God changes us. God changes us. He didn't just choose us and then leave us on our own to do whatever we wanted with our lives. That's, that's what some people kind of treat like, well, if God chose me, I'm going to eat, drink, and be married because tomorrow I'll die. And God chose me, I can do whatever I want to. No, there's a, there's a call to our life. He, he's going to transform us. There's a, there's a goal that he has. And really, there's a, there's a twofold understanding to this verse. The first understanding is that at salvation, God has made us holy and blameless. We are considered holy and blameless before him. Why is that so? Because we are hidden in Christ. At our salvation, Christ's righteousness was given to you. So believer, think about this. Now, when God looks down at you, he sees his perfect son. He sees Christ's righteousness in your life. Despite how you lived this past week, if you have genuinely repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ, he sees Jesus when he sees you. I don't know about you. That, that should knock us on our face. Nothing good do we bring to Christ and in return we receive his righteousness. He chose us to be, to be declared holy and blameless. They are now characteristic of who we are. We have a new identity. I don't know about you, but my life, even this past week, hasn't always looked that way. 
my, my attitude has not been without blemish. I can't say all of my actions have represented Christ's holiness, and yet, despite that, God looks down at me and sees his perfect son. Look at Romans 8. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Sorry, not sorry for being in this book again, but it is so profound. I just suggest that we all, can we all memorize Romans 8, and then we can just quote it. It's worth your time to do that. Romans 8, verses 31 through 34 says the following. But then, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Church, if God is for us, who can be against us? No one. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You want to become even more and more holy and blameless? Guess what? He's, he's already given everything he could possibly give. He's going to give you what you need to grow into Christ's likeness. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect church? Who can do it? No one. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Church, who can condemn you? No one. Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. How many of you want to have the Son of God pleading before the throne of grace on your behalf? A pleading that's never rejected. Despite what Satan want to, may want to say about you, Jesus is pleading his, his hands, his feet. Father, my blood has, has covered this brother. He's covered this sister. I'm conforming them into my image. The pleading of the Son never fails. You will have been declared holy and blameless. That is our new identity. We are considered holy and blameless. But there's another side. It's not just our identity. There is also a call for us to strive to live holy and blameless lives. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Again, we must first understand our identity. If we don't understand what our identity is, then we could fool ourselves in trying to think that we have earned the understanding of being holy and blameless by our actions. It's not that case. Rather, because we are holy and blameless, we should then live like that. Our identity comes first, and then our actions follow. 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Walk. Live your life to please God. Be holy. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That's what holiness is. It's abstaining from sin. It's being separated from the world. We don't look like the world. We should strive to look less and less like the world. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, 
that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards the not man but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Brothers and sisters, you are considered holy and blameless, so therefore, strive to live in a way that reflects your identity. But remember, we are not striving to live holy lives to become holy. Rather, we are a holy people, therefore, we should live like it. Leviticus 19.2 says, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Same thing in Leviticus 20, verse 26. In Exodus 19, 6, God's people are called to be a holy nation. Perhaps you're like, well, that's the nation of Israel. I don't care about the Old Testament. All right, fine. If you want to play that game, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And we read this in verse 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is what we see all throughout Scripture, this call to live separate, holy lives. Stop sinning to the best of what you're able to do. That's what it means to be holy, to set yourself apart from the world. And do you want some good news in light of this? We have help. This is not just about pulling up your own bootstraps. All right, I got this now. The Lord saved me. Now it's time for me to take over and do what I need to do. That's not at all what the scriptures say. I love what Philippians 1.6 says. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Who, who began the good work in us? God began the good work. He's the one that started it. He's the one that began it. And he who began it will do what? He will bring it to completion when Jesus comes back. He will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is the one who began. God is the one who will complete. We participate, but ultimately we do so dependent on the spirits. The Galatians, the church in Galatia, they struggled with this as well. Let me, let me read Galatians 3, verses 1 through 3. You can just write it down and you can look at it later. But this is what this says. It says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Gospel community, how did you receive Salvation, you hear by works of the law, by hearing by faith. Faith. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? The answer to that is no. You can't do this on your own. You have a helper. You have my Spirit. We have his written word. This is, this is not burdensome. This is not a chore that we have to do to check off to read the Bible. This is God's word that's been given to us as a gift. All scripture is breathed out by God and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training us so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
How does a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to his word. We, we have gifts. God has given us the identity of being holy and blameless. And then he's given us the tools to pursue living lives that reflect our identity. And the good news is God is changing us. Back to Ephesians. Let's look at verses 5 and 6. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Here's, here's some more good news. He chose us. He's changing us. God has adopted us as sons and daughters. How many of you have had close ties to adoption within your family? Nephew, nieces, son, daughter, yourself, you were adopted. Uh, I had the privilege of being at a courtroom when an adoption was made final for our niece, and I'll never forget it. Here you have this little girl, for whatever reason, her parents were unable to take care of her. It was like this, for me it was really strange, because they actually changed her name, like in the process towards the end. And, and I thought she was somebody different. I, th I thought like they had a different, they had a different girl, but it was the same one. Because here's the, the thing, it was like this, well, she, they're just taking care of her. She's not really part of the family. Like that, 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 that picture was striking to me. When the judge declared her to be part of the family. And I was overcome by God's adoption for us. You see, we were born enemies of God. No one was seeking after him. We had no father. We had no mother. We were unlovable. We weren't like this cute puppy. You know, if you've ever adopted a puppy and you go pick them out and you find the cutest one, that's, that's, not how, that's not how election works. While we were still sinners, while we were still pursuing the ways of the world, God chose us and declared us, you are now my son. You are now my daughter. Not because of anything that you had to offer. Not because of any potential that you had, as some Christian music may want to tell you. God didn't look to say, oh, he's got potential, and that's why he chose you. That's a bunch of garbage. We had nothing to offer the Lord apart from his grace, and then he saves us and equips us to be able to participate in his eternal work. Brothers and sisters, if you have repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ, he has declared you to be a son and a daughter when you had no father, no mother. That's particularly good news for those of you who maybe have not had the best parents. Perhaps you are here today and were adopted, and you, I know a lot of people struggle with mom and dad, why didn't they keep me? You, you get a real life picture of what it means to be chosen. God chose you, declared you to be his. 
This is all, it says in the scripture, verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. It's all because of God's grace. Grace is when we get what we don't deserve. We don't deserve to be called sons and daughters. And it's all because of Christ. We have this through Jesus and what he's done. We have this through Christ who paid the price on the cross so that we may be made right with him. And therefore, because of what Christ has done, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 is true for us. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, once you were nothing, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You have been given not what you deserve. Mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. His mercy has been lavished on you. Christian, let this lead you to praise. He brought you into his family when you didn't have one. When you were unlovable, lost in your sin, God made you alive in Christ. You are his true sons and daughters. And every spiritual blessing is yours in Christ. So this week when Satan tempts you to despair and tells you of the guilt within, look upward and see how Christ made an end to all your sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. God chose you before the foundation of the world. God is changing you, conforming you into the image of his son. God has adopted you and called you his son. Or his daughter to the praise of his glorious grace in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your incredible mercy. Lord, I pray for your people this morning. I pray, I pray that our hearts would be overwhelmed with gratitude, overwhelmed with praise, humbled. Father, if there be anybody here who's been boastful, who's looked down on unbelievers, would you smash that in us? Who are we that the highest king would welcome us? There's just no room for boasting. There's no room for pride. There's no room for us to look down on the, the sins of the world, the sinful people of the world, and lift our nose up at them as if somehow we are better. It's only because of your glorious grace and mercy that we stand here holy and blameless as our identity. So God, make us, lead us to a place of worship overabounding joy, even if our life circumstances right now are not the greatest, because our greatest problem has been done away with.
Father, for those here who maybe are struggling with what we've talked about, Lord, I pray that they would let that lead them to study your word and that your spirit would lead them and direct them to you. Lord, I pray for those who may not know you as Savior, I pray that you would call them to yourself. I pray that you would move, that today might be the day of their reckoning, today might be the day of their salvation, that you would call the dead to life, which is something that only you can do. But God, keep us faithful in that mission. That isn't a, that isn't a pass to neglect spreading the gospel, Lord. But let us be all the more fervent, trusting that your word never returns void. Father, we are far richer than we could ever imagine. And so overwhelm us with that this week, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give you a couple things to chew on this week if you want to go a little bit further. I encourage you to spend some time memorizing Ephesians 1, 5, and 6. I'll remind you what that says. It says, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. I also encourage you to spend some time reading through Romans 3. It talks about how we've fallen short of God's glory, and yet God's grace that abounds even in that. One of these days we might go through Romans. I'm just very intimidated by such a deep book. A couple questions to, to think about. How has God changed you? you know, sometimes we just need to, we just, I don't know about you. I, I can get overwhelmed by how sinful I am. I, I can get overwhelmed at how impatient I can be, how angry I can be, how lazy I can be at times. And sometimes I feel like, God, am I even saved? Anybody else relate with me at all in that? <laughs> just take the time to like look back in your life and see how God has changed you. For instance, this is maybe something silly to you, but one, one thing I just realized this week is, is like, you know what, it could be easy to steal stuff. You ever, you ever think that? <laughs> I'm like, it could be really easy to steal, but Lord, I, I just have no desire. Like, this is unholy living. I have no desire to do that. That's a, as simple as stupid, but like, that's the Spirit's work, and it just, Lord, thank you. Thank you for changing me. You know what, Lord, I was such an idiot to my kids, but you led me to go to them and repent of my sin. I'm thankful for the Lord. His loving kindness leads us to repentance. Have you repented of your sin this week to somebody you've sinned against? And praise the Lord for that. The world doesn't do that. The world makes excuses of why they responded the way they did instead of owning up. And if you owned up this week, man, praise the Lord for his kindness. But take the time to evaluate, like, you aren't a perfect, you're a, you're a wreck. Can we just all admit that? You're still, we're still a wreck. But he's changing us. Here I go preaching again. I'm going to be here all day. So. Last question there. How can you grow in holiness? Is there something in your life that does not reflect your identity? Perhaps it's your language. Maybe it's a continual attitude you have towards someone. Maybe it's some habits that you're dealing with. Maybe it's your attitude at work or... Uh, entertainment choices that you're making? Is there, is there a way that God is calling you to greater holiness? Not to receive anything for the Lord, but just because you want to honor him. You want to reflect his glory to the world. So chew on those things for a bit. Well, grateful for you being here today. I pray that you are encouraged, believer. 
you're richly blessed. And if you have something that you need prayer for, please reach out to somebody who could pray over you. If you have questions about things that we've talked about, I'll be up here. If you want to reach out, e email. My email is ben at mygospelcc.org. I uh, would love to have a conversation with you if that would be. Uh, but I, I pray that you're encouraged this morning. Let me invite you to stand. I just want to remind you, church, that we are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. So let your light shine so that others may see your good work and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Have a great week.